Welcome to the Insider's Edge podcast here on the WCWA Network. I'm your host with the most on the West Coast, California in Fury. What a joy and honor and privilege to be with you all once again. And speaking of a joy, honor and privilege right here, right now, I get to speak to somebody who I am a massive fan of their work in the wrestling business. My gosh, I can't believe I actually got her on the show. This is a thrill for me. Ladies and gentlemen, the head cheerleader, the queen of extreme, the one and only, the incomparable Francine. How are you? Oh, what an what an overwhelming uh, intro there. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm doing better. Um, if I cough, you'll have to excuse me getting over COVID. Um, which was horrible, uh, but we're, we're on the mend and we're all getting back to normal now. So that's a good thing. So, but thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, that's great, Francine. And, uh, I still have not had COVID. My girlfriend had COVID, uh, Mm. two weeks ago, shared the bed with her, slept, I still haven't had it. I still haven't, I don't know. I can't get it. I I think I can't get it. So (laughs) you're Superman. (laughs) I I wish you don't get it. I mean, it's not something that anybody wants to get. Unfortunately it's out there. And I went what, two and a half years without getting it. And um, I believe Boston got me. I I was at the Boston airport for a layover. And I think that's where I might've acquired it either that or on one of my legs of the plane ride. So yeah, it got me, but I'm okay now. I'm 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 doing well. That's that's good. I'm glad to hear you're doing well. I've I've heard it's not very good. Uh, but Francie, <laughs> the, the same question that I always ask everybody to start off the interview is: How did you become a fan of pro wrestling? Was there a moment, a, a moment in time that you were like, "That's it. I love this thing." My story is a little different because I didn't grow up loving the sport. You know, you you interview all these wrestlers and, and they've loved it ever since they were little kids and, you know, going to uh, wrestling events with their parents and, and at the age of like three years old. That wasn't me. I didn't get into it until I was about 18 years old. Um, you know, I knew who like Hulk Hogan was growing up because everybody does, um, but I never watched it. And uh, one day I just came across, I, I don't know if, I, if, if it was WWF or Global, but I, I started watching one of those programs first. And I was like, oh, this is fun. This is something different. And then, you know, one thing led to another and I became fans of both those organizations. And uh, just a casual fan, you know, I would go to the Spectrum, uh, you know, once every six months in Philadelphia, uh, I'm sorry, six weeks. It was every six weeks they had the house shows. So I go to the Spectrum. I would view some of the, the house shows that they had. Um, didn't know anybody in the business. I was just a casual fan at the time. And then I came across ECW, which back then was still, um, it wasn't extreme yet. It was Eastern. And they had this show on Tuesday nights at six o'clock. Um, on Sports Channel Philadelphia, and I'm I'm originally from Philly, 
Um, and I, I remember I was eating dinner in front of the TV one day and, and I said, what is this? I didn't know anybody who worked there because again, I didn't grow up you know, with the knowledge of a, a wrestling fan. So all these guys were new to me and like the arena was dingy and it wasn't full. Um, I didn't, I didn't know anybody. So I said, this is interesting. So I started watching it for about a month and I was working at a life insurance company. I really hated what I was doing. I was in like this little uh, corner that had no windows. And, uh, you know, I, I was just very unhappy and that commercial came on. I don't know if you're familiar, but it, it, it was a commercial for their wrestling school at the time that was in the back of the arena. And it just said, if you want to be a manager or a referee or a wrestler, call us, call this number. And I pick up the phone and I just call because why not? You know, I, I 20 years old, I don't know what I want to do with my life. I see these girls and I'm just like, I think I can do that. But let's see what this is about. And I just called the number and they said, oh, go see Todd Gordon. And they give me this address and, uh, you know, um, I, go, I go and it's a pawn shop. And I'm just like, <laughs> what the heck? <laughs> like, I don't know what's going on. You know, my dad took me down there and it was in Center City, Philadelphia. And I worked and that's where I worked for the life insurance. So I was kind of familiar with the area. Um, he's on Jewelers Row. I believe he still has his shop there. Um, but you had to get buzzed in. There were bars all over the windows. I mean, it was like a scene from a movie and they buzzed me in and I'm just like, I'm here to see Todd. Didn't know who Todd was. And they say, walk down this corridor and go in like a, a, the first door on the left or whatever. And I, I'm walking and it, I, I felt like I was in like this prison movie or something. Like it's this really <laughs> long hallway and I'm just walking by myself and looking around, you know? And I look in this room and Todd's just sitting there and I believe he had his feet on the, the desk and his arms are crossed. And I walked in, I introduced myself. And the first thing he just looks me up and down and he says, you're really pretty. You won't have to bump. <laughs> right. And, and I didn't know what a bump was. You know, I don't know wrestling lingo. And I went, okay. And little did I know that would be my whole career was bumping my ass. Off, you know? <laughs> so that, that's how I got involved in the sport. Right. Very interesting. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 again, I'm trying not to ask questions that you always get asked, but now I, I feel like I, I, I want to know about <clears throat> when you when you called the number, did you mm -hmm. think to yourself, I'm, I'm doing this because I want to be a manager? Or did you think, you know, I want to be a wrestler? Was that the goal at first to be a manager or what was it that you, was in your mind? So when I went down there, um, we talked a little bit about training and initially my trainer was supposed to be a man uh, called Larry Winters. I don't know if you ever heard of him, um, but we, we weren't on the same page with the dates that we can get together. So they put me with a, a guy called uh, JT Smith. His name was JT Smith, wonderful worker, uh, FBI, nicest guy you'll ever meet in your life. Yes. Ni nicest <laughs> man ever. Um, him and I clicked right away. He was awesome. Um, so when I went in there, I was the only girl. And there were about, I don't know, six or seven guys. And then like Stevie Richards would come down. He, he was at my, um, he was there on my training days a lot. Um, they were training me as a wrestler because I, I really wasn't sure what I was going to do. I had no idea. Um, when Todd came after I was training, I don't even know how long I trained for. Um, they made me do like a tryout match. 
and I worked a match as a wrestler. And we do this match. And I remember like, I got really sick after I was done and I ran to the bathroom and I got sick in the bathroom and it was just nerves. I don't think I ate that morning, you know, and I come out, but he seemed to be impressed. So I was just like, okay. And he really didn't give me much feedback. So I was kind of in the dark. I wasn't really sure what was going on. And at this point, it was um, Eddie Gilbert was transitioning out of the company and Paul Heyman was coming in. So I get a call and they're like, come. I don't even remember what my first show was, but they had me wrestling. But the in the middle of the matches, 911 would come out and he would choke slam us. So we didn't even get to complete, like we probably worked for like two, three minutes tops. And then he would come out and just the girls would get demolished and that would be it. And <laughs> I don't know what the point was, but that's what we did for a cycle. So it was fine. Um, but I remember my first meeting with Paul. Um, it was uh, the night I was in Montgomeryville, PA, and they wanted me to be a beauty queen. I had won a, con a fake contest and they wanted me to be like the guest timekeeper. So I had to sit at the the timekeeper table like the whole the whole time and then 911 was just going to come and grab me and give me a choke slam and this was this was before I even took the choke slam so I I remember saying to Paul I I don't know what a choke slam is I didn't do that yet in training like <laughs> I'm not I'm not prepping to this information and Paulie just looked at me and he was like you don't want to do it and I said no I didn't say I didn't want to do it I just don't know what it is and he said He'll grab you and do it. Don't worry. So I'm sitting there. I come out. I'm waving at everybody like a stupid beauty queen. Like, <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. And um, I sit there and I'm ringing the bell after each match. And then just Al grabs me and he gives me this choke slam. And I they put me on like a gurney on a stretcher and they take me out the back door and put me in a car. And I think it was Stevie Richards who drove me home that night. <laughs> and uh, I didn't talk to anybody. I didn't know if it, like, I'm like, did I do good? I don't know, you know? It was like so old school. Like I didn't know any information. And then I got a call saying, Paul wants you to come back. So I said, okay. So I go back. I don't know what the next show was, but I, this conversation, I said to Paul, well, I'm going to be a wrestler, right? And he says, no. And I said, okay, but I, I, I'm kind of training to be a wrestler. And he said, women wrestlers will not make money. You will make your money as a manager. I guarantee you, you will get over as a manager. And that's what he told me. And I, you know, I'm green as grass. I, I'm just learning. I said, okay, I trust you. And he was, uh, in that day and age, he was 100% right. Um, because if you watch the program, there would be times when he would have a female match, but there wasn't really a storyline behind it. It was just like, let's put these two girls out there and let them work. And, and it's a shame because girls can work. You know, women have terrific matches. And Paul saw a different uh, path for me, and he was correct. He was 100% correct, I think. Um, I, I think I... I, I don't think I would have had as much success if he pushed me in a different direction. So, right. 
Interesting stuff. I'm definitely going to get into that soon because I, I have something to say about that. But um, uh, um, one question that I that I wanted to uh, to bring to you was um, joining a new place, whether it's a wrestling company or just going like starting at a new job, uh, a new company. There's a period of time where you have to try and fit in. Um, did anybody take you under their wing? How did you navigate your way through the whole process early on? Because not only do you have to worry about this, but you also have to worry about winning over the fans as well. Um, so how, how do you navigate your way through that? It's funny you ask me that story because um, I, I can be very quiet if I don't know anybody in the room. But once I feel comfortable, I can be very loud. And, and like I me. adapt to my surroundings. Yeah, I get comfortable and I my part of my true personality will come out. So when I first went there, I was under the impression, you know, keep your mouth shut. Don't bother anyone. Um, I was told to say hello to people because that, you know, back in the day, you were supposed to shake hands with everyone, go up to everybody. Uh, they don't do it so much anymore. I still do it because that's how I was taught. Um, but I would take a book with me. And I would literally sit there in the corner and I would read a book. And the first person who came up to me was Sandman. And he, he literally like healed me. And he was like, what are you doing? And I said, I'm staying out of everybody's way. I'm reading a book. And he goes, no, put the book down, get your ass in front of the monitor and watch the matches. And I said, okay. And I, I remember I closed my, I shut the book. I went, I got a chair. I just thought, you know, that was reserved for like the, the boys, the workers. Like I didn't want to like overstep boundaries at this point because I don't know etiquette. Mm -hmm. Nobody, no one took me under their wing in the beginning. I was like a little lost puppy. I would just sit there. And if somebody like when JT would walk in, I would flock to him because I trained with him. Um, Stevie, I, I knew Stevie from training. So I would, I would kind of like gravitate towards those guys. But the more I kept going back, I started making friends. And at this point I'm working house shows. So, you know, they're pairing me up with like Tommy Dreamer and we're doing like mixed tags and, and stuff like that. So uh, I became friends with Tommy initially. Um, I, I started to get more comfortable the more I was asked to, you know, come back and do these shows. Um, I, I just didn't want to overstep any boundaries or, or make anybody angry um, because I didn't have like Sherry Martell was my role model. I met her once and then she was gone from the company. Um, so like, I would have loved for Sherry to stay and I would have latched one to her and maybe she could have taught me the rose, but I didn't have anybody, you know, it was just me. Um, the person who actually helped me was Shane Douglas, but that wasn't until we were paired together and that took a while to get there. So I was, I was, pretty much by myself until the pairing with Shane happened. Right. Interesting. That's interesting. Cause that, that's a, a little while down the line as well. Um, yeah. But uh, you, you do eventually uh, debut under your name, Francine, uh, working with uh, Stevie in 1995. But I, I kind of want to kind of spring off from that and talk about female managers in pro wrestling um, uh, to, to the layman out there that thinks that all you have to do is walk to the ring uh, and, <laughs> and cheer on the, the guy that you're managing. Um, right. 
let, let, let's just let's just spell it out for him. What exactly goes into being a manager in pro wrestling? What is it that you have to do, not just walk to the ring? Exactly. Uh, everybody thinks, oh, if you're pretty, you could just go out there and, and you're fine. Uh, well, you could do that, but I don't think the fans would respect you uh, as much um, as a person who actually, you know, actually does things at ringside. So I went about it as I would sit with the guys and I would listen to the whole match being laid out. Um, I would try not only to remember my spots, but I would try to, you know, just get a, a knowledge for the, the match, the psychology, uh, with the storyline behind it. What, what, why am I doing what I'm doing? Trying to make it make more sense. Facials are very important. Timing, timing has to be impeccable. Um, you know, I, I would always look for like maybe two spots before my spot. So I would be ready to go. Um, if you ever watch me, you'll see there's a certain point where I would always take my heels off because you knew something <laughs> was coming. If I'm going to get in the ring, I don't want to break my ankle or anything. Um, but timing was really, really important. And you have to work on that. Um, I just think like psychology and storytelling, it, it just makes the match so much more interesting to watch than just two guys locking up with nothing behind it. Um, so I, you know, I, I just tried to remember as much as I could, um, just in case, like if Shane, if I, if I knew Shane needed a chair, I would remember them talking in the back and I, oh, the chair spot's coming up. So I would run ahead of time, make sure a chair's there. Or if something needed to be under the ring, I made sure I knew what section of the ring it was at. So I didn't have to run all the way around. And then there's goes the timing. You know what I mean? Like you have to think a couple steps ahead. And I, I think that makes a really good manager just knowing where you are at all time, where the hard camera is, where the handheld is, your facials, you, you know, keep your head up, make the fans see the agony in your face or just, just the little things, um, little things go a long way. So there, there's a lot that managers do. Um, it's, it's, it's not that easy. <laughs> you have to no, remember I, a lot of things. <laughs> I, uh, and I agree. Cause I know I've, I've, been involved in, in in pro wrestling as well and and i've come to the ring with somebody who's been working and i know exactly i'm like oh wow like actually i should probably keep on being constantly doing something and but at least but not get myself over still put the attention on them as well so there's so much to think about there, there is. And, and you know, you, you can get yourself over a little bit, but you don't want to take away from the boys in the ring. So there there's a there's a way to do that. And, and I, I think I've mastered that. Um, you know, there, there's certain times when. Uh, let's say both guys are down selling and it's dead silence. That's when the manager comes into play. So you either start banging on the mat. Or you, if you're a heel, you turn around and you start jawjacking with the guy behind you in the first row. You want the people to be up and, and energy. You never want that quiet atmosphere. So there, there are times when you could put the attention on you. You just don't want to take away from the boys. And that there's an art to that. And, um, you know, you just have to watch people who came before you and and i i watched a lot of of stuff from the women that that paved the way for me and i that's how i learned you know and you learn by example you learn by doing as well so absolutely some great examples there too i didn't think much about the double down when the guys are down in the ring you might have to 
take that time to to do something. So that's very interesting. But you, you mentioned uh, the ladies that paved the way, and I think of ladies like Baby Doll, uh, Miss Elizabeth, Sherry, uh, Woman. Uh, they were managers. They weren't just valets. There's, there is a difference between the two, I think. Uh, uh, the, the, this is what I wanted to bring up. I, I alluded to it earlier. This is something different. There's something different about your run. Your story arc from 1995 to 2001, when, when I look back at it, I think it's perhaps the best run a female manager had. And the character, because because the character Francine was always doing something fruitful, something meaningful, you and your character, the Queen of Extreme, affected how the lay of the land would be. Um, that That's just my perspective. And because when I think about people like Miss Elizabeth Sherry, you know, uh, Sherry had something with Sean there, but, but she was still a wrestler, though, at the end of the day. You were specifically a manager, baby doll. She had the stuff with the horseman and Tully, uh, woman. She did a whole heap of things, but I, I just look at your story arc and, and I assume that from, from day dot till 2001, that hasn't been mapped out. It's just this, uh, it just so happened to, to, to work out that way. And, and, the way that the lay of the land was was because of the Queen of Extreme, and uh, I just I'm, I'm just very impressed with how it all worked out. Um, yeah. You know, from Stevie to the Pipples to Shane, Tommy Raven to Justin, it, you were a big part of all those acts. I don't really have a question there. I just wanted to ask you how you <laughs> felt about me saying that. <laughs> I I'm touched. I I. I... I'm humbled to hear that. I mean, I, I appreciate those kind words. Um, everything that I've done, I always said, you know, I just want to leave my mark on this sport. You know, I, I want people to look back at my career and say she was a hard worker and she always gave 110%. So for you to say something like that, that means a lot to me. So I appreciate it and thank you. Um, I I just always went into each match telling the guys oh I'll take that I'll take that finisher I'll, I'll do that like I I just was trying to make a name for myself and I just wanted people to know I'm not just here for you know the the paycheck so to speak I want to work and I want to get that pop you know, I, I want to do something memorable and I want people to just say, you know, sh she can go. And, um, you know, sometimes it worked out great. Other times, <laughs> not so much, but I always gave it 110%. And, um, you know, I just, I hope that people can just look back like you did and, and just say, she, you know, she always tried, she always gave it her all. And, you know, I have haters out there. I know that we all do. Um, there, there are some people that don't think I contributed anything to wrestling. And, and that's okay, because I always say I'm not everybody's cup of tea. So when, when I hear people like you say stuff like that, that makes me happy. And it makes it worth what I did. The exactly. And, and for the and haters, like, for the haters, it's okay that they're wrong, but that they can be wrong. <laughs> like, that, that's they fine. Can be wrong. That's okay. <laughs> yeah. I always say, you know, that, that that's why there's a million flavors out there. If you don't like me, you might like somebody else. And that is a-okay. But just know I always gave 110%, whether you hated me or you loved me. I'm out there to entertain, and hopefully that's what I did. 
You certainly did, Francine, and 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 that that brings me to this next thing I wanted to bring up because I've talked about that that arc, that journey, and there's a bunch of uh, people that were involved in that. And I wanted to ask you, just naming some of these people that you managed, if you could just tell me quickly, uh, not because you know, I know we've only got a certain amount of time together, but one thing about uh, each experience that you that you feel helped you in the future, so. Uh, starting out, you start out with Stevie, that experience with Stevie, was there something during that time that you feel helped you in the future? Stevie, I mean, you know, he was, um, he was just a nice guy um, that I, I, I mentioned earlier, he was at the trainings with me, you know, at the school. Um, I felt comfortable with Stevie. Uh, I traveled with Stevie a little bit in the beginning um, when we worked the program together, just professional. You know what I mean? Just, it, it, he was a nice guy. It, it was a comfort to have him in the beginning because he was there with training. And I just, like uh, I told you, it took me a little bit of time before I was, you know, 100% myself in the locker room. So I found like Stevie and JT to be comforting when I first started to work. So I was happy that I was put with him initially because I knew him, I, 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 you know what I mean? Like training yeah. with him, I already had a sense of uh, friendship with him. So I felt comfortable. Right, so th that's very important when you're first starting out, you need to yeah. be uh, moving into this position and to be made feel comfortable into it before you start getting, you know, that false bravado becomes bravado eventually kind of <laughs> yeah. thing. Uh, so uh, next, the pit bulls, you know, managing a tag team uh, of, 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 of such magnitude like the pit bulls, uh, was there something that you feel that the experience with them helped you with your uh, future? Um, I mean, I'm still friendly with Gary to this day. I uh, love Gary so much. Um, I, I feel like working with a tag team is a little more difficult than one-on-one -on -one because now you have two cooks in the kitchen and what this one says might not be what this one thinks. And sometimes you butt heads. Um, I, I'm happy for the experience. Um, and like I said, I love Gary to death, uh, but it was it was a little difficult being with a tag team compared to just one person, if that makes any sense. Absolutely. And, and when I was put with them, I, I remember Paul telling me this is not for the long run. And I don't know if they knew it, but that's I knew it. And I, I just never said anything. I kept my mouth shut and just, I rode the wave because honestly, I, di I didn't know how long it was going to last. Um, I hated the gimmick. I hated wearing <laughs> the outfits. I was very uncomfortable. Um, I'm, I'm like a sundress kind of girl, like a flowy, girly girl. Um, and to wear those outfits, <laughs> were it was terrifying. But I did it because I was trying to match you know what they but it was just you can tell how uncomfortable I was in the early days wearing all those uh those <laughs> costumes it was, it was not my cup of tea um but you know it was an experience and I learned how to work with a tag team I just prefer working with one individual right excellent see then again more lessons being learned uh and that brings me to an, a, a very big uh I guess uh time period managing Shane Douglas 
Yeah. What did you learn from that experience? So Shane, oh. now this is like a top guy in the company. Now you're being elevated to that real queen of extreme manager of the champion, a uh, huge part of your career. What did you learn there? I uh, Shane, I credit with like teaching me everything about the business. Um, I believe we were paired for about three and a half years until he left for WCW. And I mean, we traveled together and long car rides and, and just uh, psychology, just uh, the ways of the locker room, uh, etiquette, just he taught me so much. Um, and and I, I wanted to be like a sponge, you know, because I never had somebody take the time that he took to try and, and help me grow as a worker you know, as a talent. And I appreciate that until this day. I mean, we, we still talk every week. Um, he's, he's a very dear friend of mine, very close friend. We try to get booked together as much as we can. Um, and this friendship is over 25 years old, you know, um, and that, that makes me happy that we're still as close as we are. Uh, but I credit him with teaching me almost everything about this business. He's just been, uh, one of my closest allies, and um, he's just so knowledgeable um, in so many different fields of of you know professional wrestling. And I just I, I'm so thankful that Paul saw something with us, and that we were able to be paired together. Because if we weren't, who knows what would have happened with me? Like I don't know. You know, it was just. I guess it was the right place, the right time, and I, I'm grateful for it. Absolutely, I, I would I would call that lightning in a bottle. Uh, you two being together, uh, it just uh, the, the just you two together, it made so much sense. It works so well. The next and you obviously again you learned like a plethora of stuff through that run. That's a long run that you had with him. But the next yeah. uh, portion of your career, I find quite interesting because. You, you have gone from being so despised by the fans because you're with the <laughs> franchise and now you're with Tommy, the most beloved of everyone in the company. Now you yeah. have to become a baby face after all this time. That's True. hard. That's really hard. As far as I'm concerned, from my perspective, I was a heel in a wrestling company for many years and then I had to try and turn babyface, and I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, <laughs> so I want to know from your perspective, like, what did you learn from that experience with Tommy and, and becoming that babyface Francine? Yeah, um, well, I will say, first off, I do prefer being a heel. Much more fun. Uh, <laughs> let's just get that out of the way. Um, but I remember, you know, I, I was, when, when they put me with Tommy, I remember him, uh, the first night we went out together to the ring, um, I remember coming back and him saying, you can do anything. And I just looked at him and he was just like, man, he goes, you, you were such a great heel. He goes, now you're going to be a great baby face. He goes, you turn them like this. He goes, you went from being hated to being loved in a matter of five seconds. And, and he goes, and that's, you're, you're an all around performer. He said, you, you can do it all. And I just said to myself, well, okay, you know, let's, let's just go with this. So I, changed my mindset a little. So now I, I'm doing things that I think the crowd will love instead of doing things that I think the crowd will hate, you know? <laughs> and um, I didn't really change 
my attitude, so to speak. But you again, you have to watch what's going on in the ring. So now my concentration is on the baby face. I'm, I'm looking at Tommy and how do I get the fans behind him and healing the heel? You know what I mean? So it's just, again, it's little things that you can do at ringside. Um, if Tommy's down and the heel is up, I start banging on the mat. I start screaming, Tommy, Tommy. So then they're going to start screaming, Tommy, Tommy. And then you have the whole, you know, five, 6,000 people screaming Dreamer's name. So you have the baby face response that you're looking for. It's just that there's just little things that you have to do. And of course, Tommy was great with working with the girls and getting them over with certain spots. Um, he knew exactly when to put me in there, what would get over, what would, you know, the people would pop for. Um, so he was detrimental my, to my career as, as a baby face as well. Um, and I learned a lot from him in that aspect because he, he's never been healed. His whole run, except for in real life. <laughs> <laughs> I kid. Um, but no, it, it, he's never, you know, he never turned heel. He was a baby face his whole career. And um, I, I learned a lot from him, you know, getting over saying the town that you're in or, you know, getting <laughs> that cheap pop or wearing a certain shirt that, you know, the people are going to like certain things like that. It's just little, little tiny details, you know. Absolutely. One thing before I bring up the next person that I wanted to ask about, uh, uh, I've been watching a lot of uh, 2000 ECW, like Hardcore TV, uh, TNN, etc. And every single episode, they're, 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 they're plugging uh, a, a VHS of uh, an event <laughs> where I believe you turn babyface. Uh, and they say, you know, Francine gets extreme. And all you people been yeah. saying the last few years is show uh, your kids. Uh, show your kids. <laughs> I'm about to show you how extreme I can get. And then you start to pull off the top and then they cut away from it. It's like, well, people storm. Are, are going to get on their phone. Well, I need to get, I need to see what Francine yeah. did. <laughs> I was well, Lance Storm comes over with a shirt and covers me up and takes <laughs> me out of there, you know. But uh, yeah, just fun little thing. It's a tease. You yeah. know, we, we, we would push the envelope, but we would never really cross the line, so to speak, or I never really crossed the line. Um, <laughs> but it was just always a tease and it was always in good fun and the fans ate it up. Absolutely. Absolutely. I just, I laugh every time I see it because in yeah. every episode they're plugging that, that VHS. <laughs> I uh, know. It's like <laughs> me break. <laughs> uh, the next one, Raven, obviously incredibly uh, creative human being. This is yep. this really interesting portion of 2000 where he's come back to ECW. There's this thing with him and Tommy. Now they're actually teaming together. And then all of a sudden you've become sympathetic to him. My God, great great fucking television as far as I'm concerned. What did you learn from the experience? Even though it's a short time period that you were with him, um, yeah. I'm, I'm sure you probably preferred wearing the Raven-esque kind of outfit because <laughs> a little bit well, more free-flowing. <laughs> first of all, I, I remember the night that I was told, you, you know, you're going to be with Scotty now. So I said, okay, um, I, need a, I need one of his shirts. Somebody go to the merch table, please, and get me one of his shirts. Because I thought the whole the whole Raven thing, he always had disciples. And everybody just worships him. So I said, well, why would I be different 
why am I going to keep this gimmick and come in these fancy gowns and dresses like that? I, I yeah. don't know. For me, that didn't seem right. He disagreed with me and he argued with me about it. And he's like, I don't want you wearing my shirt. And I said, well, I'm wearing your shirt. I said, it's my gimmick. Cause at this point I felt like I had a little bit of leverage for my own career. Um, and I just said, I think it makes more sense. I said, I, I don't, I want to be different. If I'm going to be with you, I want to be different. He didn't like that. And he frowned upon it. Oh yeah. We, we butted heads over it. And initially I guess Paul agreed with me or whatever. So I was wearing, I mean, I would do my hair like stupid and the red lipstick and just ridiculous looking. I just wanted to be different. I didn't want to be the Francine that looked like a beauty queen or was trying to be sexy. I just wanted to be this not a zombie, but just the, the kind of the, the gimmick that was going on for years with anybody who followed him. Um, the one thing, and you said you liked the story behind it. I didn't. I didn't like it. I felt like it was a continuation of, of the Beulah storyline. Um, and, and I just felt like it was like Beulah times two. I felt like they just took that storyline and put me in it even though there was a little bit of a twist on it. Um, I don't know. I, I kind of was uncomfortable with it. I, I, I went with it hundred percent because that's what you do. Um, but I, I just wish we could have went a different way with it because there was a love triangle again. And we, they had done that in the beginning and now yeah. here we are doing it again. So it wasn't my favorite. Didn't love it. Um, fans liked it, I guess. I mean, you, you said that you enjoyed it and, th and that's what matters overall. Um, but creatively, I just wish we could have did something that wasn't so similar to the first time around. Right. No, no, fair enough. Uh, I think what I liked about it was that like, you know, Tommy took Bueller away from Raven and back in the day and now finally Raven Got one back over him after all these. Yeah, yeah. I just thought that was interesting that it, like uh, you know, you know, things I mean, were different. It worked. <laughs> it worked. Don't get me wrong, yeah. uh, but just as a talent being involved in it, I just I don't know. I just I, I saw it as a mirror image of what they did a couple of years prior, yeah. and I just would have liked to have done something new. Fair enough, but, and I'm really surprised with uh, Raven not liking the idea of you. Because you kind of like were like a chameleon, like when you're with the pit bulls, although you didn't like it, you kind of look more, you know, you know, with the pit bulls. With 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 Shane, it made sense for you to to go to that beauty queen type thing because he's the franchise. And you know, with Tommy, <laughs> you're still kind of moving uh, away from Shane into that. But I thought it made all the sense of the world for you to kind of chameleon esque style be kind of looking like Raven. So, uh, but anyway, <laughs> uh, the last guy that you manage in ECW was just incredible. Um, that experience there at that point, did you learn anything at that point or was this at the point where you were, you know, master of your class? Wouldn't say a master of my class, <laughs> but at this point I do have a, a lot of experience under my belt. Um, I, I feel like PJ and I, uh, were uh, pretty close to what Shane and I had. Um, PJ and I clicked right away. Um, and you can tell when we worked together, there was just something special with the two of us there. Um, I know like with Shane, I didn't get a lot of mic time. Um, Shane likes to talk. He still likes to talk and we love him. He could cut a hell of a promo. Um, but I, I, I don't know if it, I wasn't ready or I, I just Paul didn't see it in me yet. With 
Justin, uh, I, I got so much mic time and I, I feel like my character just came to life. Um, I was able to, uh, you know, not only perform, but now I'm getting, you know, the mic and I'm getting to express myself. And what was so great about ECW is, um, you know, there, we talked about this before. Some people give you verbatim word for word. I'm not good with that. Give me bullet points to hit. And then I can come off and I can make it my own. And that's something that was great about Paul. Like he, he would give you a promo, but he would say, just remember this, this, and this, and then go with it. And I, I just found my, my niche that way, you know, and, and I just was very comfortable on the mic. Um, I feel like it helped PJ and it helped me and it helped us together to, to just, uh, you know, elevate us to the next level. And again, I just feel like it was the closest to Shane that I had with anybody that I worked with. Um, very comfortable. Uh, we had some good storylines together. I wish our run could have been longer. Um, and towards the end, I don't know if, if you saw, but the last pay-per-view that we did, it was supposed to be like the new impact players. And we were joining forces with Steve Carino and Jack Victory. That would have been phenomenal because we, we were doing promos with those guys and it, it took everything not to just crack up the whole time. I loved working with Steve and Jack. Um, I just talked to Jack the other day, actually. Um, I, I was so looking forward to this uh, faction that we were gonna become and, and we were so excited about it. And then like, it never even happened. <laughs> I was just like, oh, <laughs> darn it. Um, it. It just would have been so fun. But um, I, I, I just feel like working with PJ, we both got something out of it. And I, I feel it was a good run. So I enjoyed it. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, the, uh, Steve and, and uh, Justin were kind of both on that same trajectory at that point. To have them together would have been gold. Uh, yeah. There's another thing that I need to bring up, and I'm sorry that I have to ask this because it, I'm sure you get asked about it all the time, but I've asked so many people that were on this show about this incident. It's ECW Heatwave 2000. I've oh, had... Yeah. A plethora of ECW guys. I've even had some XPW guys talk about their perspective of what happened at that moment uh. on that day. I want to make a big video where, like, you know, one after another, all these people, Chili Willie, Big Sal, you know, Messiah, all, all these people I've got, you are, like, one of the most important ones for well, this story. <laughs> Please. How many people blamed me? <laughs> uh, I think one person might have thought <gasps> that it had to do with you, but, like, most other that? people, please, <laughs> if I can remember, uh, I think someone was like, "Oh, I think something happened with Francine," but like yeah. most most people uh, did not say that. But I know that that's a big <laughs> thing over the years that Christy touched you, but that never happened from what I've heard. So please uh, let us know what actually happened. Sure. Okay, that. so before the show even starts, um, we are told that a bunch of guys bought tickets and they're going to be sitting front row. Paul knew this. Um, I think one of the requirements was like, just, you know, uh, don't wear your shirts. Um, I think they were told they can't wear their shirts. I could be wrong. That's what I remember. Um, but they bought, they bought front row tickets. So 
we're in the back and of course we have a monitor that you can see everything that's going on. And Jasmine St. Clair was with us that evening and she used to work for XPW. Now she's with DCW. And she's like pointing out on the monitor, like this is so-and-so, this is so-and-so, telling us who's who, you know? So everybody's got an idea of where they're sitting, what's going on, just in case something were to happen, just in case. The show goes on, everything's fine. We come to the main event, which is just incredible and Tommy Dreamer. And there's all these special guests. There's Jazz, there's gorgeous George. You know, I'm out there. Every, everything should go according to plan. We have this great, great spots with barbed wire and it's gonna be great. And we get introduced and stuff. And then like, I, I remember I jumped down and the boys go to lock up and I hear behind me this huge pop. Now I know nothing's going on in the ring. Nobody did anything. So I'm like, oh my God, something's gonna happen. And I turn around and the, that girl is standing on her chair. She took her top off. And I mean, she's ample. She's got these big boobs, you know, <laughs> she's cute. And she's standing there in this bra and her just her boobs are, and everybody's just going crazy. So I look in the ring and the guys are just like, what the hell's going on? I walked over and she turned and looked at me and her face was like milk white. She looked like a, a deer in headlights. And I said, get down, get down. And she, she didn't move. And I said, get down. Now my, um, my voice is, cause I'm getting mad, you know? And I just said, can you get down off the chair? get down off the chair. And, and like, I, I think I might've tapped her on the shoulder. Like, can you honey get, get down off the chair? I didn't hit her. She didn't hit me. When, when this is going on, all the guys take their shirts off. They have XPW shirts and they're doing this <laughs> or, or thing, whatever. And Atlas runs over. And I think Supreme is the big, bald guy yeah. he actually bumped into the girl she fell off the chair <laughs> because the melee ever like taking off the shirt doing this and then atlas trying to get them the you know she she got bumped so everybody thought i hit her i never hit her and you can i mean i'm sure there's film somewhere out there i never hit her and she never there was never an exchange I actually felt bad when she fell off the chair, but in my head, I'm like, well, you should have just got down when I told you to get off the chair, right? So this happens, she falls, everybody starts going nuts. Like all the, the fans in this area are jumping up and down. And I'm just like standing there. Cause now I'm just like, oh God, did I start a war? But in my defense, even if I didn't walk over there, they would have still taken their shirts off. Atlas would have came over. There still would have been a melee. So it wasn't my fault. I will not take any blame for this. It was going <laughs> to happen regardless. But at this point, Tommy <laughs> comes over and grabs me by the arm and he says, get in the ring. And I'm like, you're the baby face. Get off me. So I <laughs> <laughs> I go and I get in the ring and I'm pissed and, and the camera's on me and I throw the cane and I'm just like, I'm really pissed off because now what are we like four or five minutes wasted on this nonsense? Mm. I feel like 
as a professional, this should have never happened. It was disrespectful. It was uncalled for. Um, they, they came in our backyard was what they were saying. This is yeah. our backyard. Come on. Like, really? We traveled all over the, the country, the world. Like, you can't tell us not to go to L.A. That's ridiculous. You know what I mean? Um, we, we just knew when they bought those tickets, something funky was going to happen. So whether it was me saying something or, you know, if, if I never even turned around, that still would have happened. It would have went down the same exact way. Now, at this point, they all go outside. The locker room clears out. Joey Styles, very smart man, says somebody grabbed Francine because we weren't going to put them over on pay-per-view. Right. There's no way we're going to say XPW on our pay-per-view. Yeah. So, yeah. oh, a fan grabbed Francine, groped Francine, whatever he said. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant on the fly thinking. Love Joey. Um, but then like everybody, so now everybody's outside and there's a fight going on. And then, you know, we have to just pick up the pieces and the match was cut short. And there were certain spots that could not be done now because we wasted five or six minutes wow. on nonsense. So to me, it, it was just very disrespectful and, and it's, it's disappointing. And I know from talking to other people that some of those XPW guys, like later on, would go up to our boys and say, you know, I'm really sorry about what happened and um, no one ever came up to me and said that because I, I really don't know any of those guys. Uh, I don't do many indie shows, but um, a lot of them did apologize. I I don't know who was the mastermind behind that, but it was just, you know, ridiculous. And that night, like one o'clock in the morning, my phone rings and it was our lawyer. And he's like, I think you're going to be getting sued. And I was like, yeah, okay. And I hung up the phone. I was like, what am I getting sued for? I didn't do anything. And I never got sued because I never, I never touched anybody. You know, Absolutely. no one was, yeah, no one hit anybody. The girls didn't get involved. The guys took their shirts off and that was that. <laughs> Ridiculous. It's so funny. I'm just hearing everyone, because I've had Jim Molino's perspective. I've had John Finnegan's perspective, Stephen DeAngelis, uh, Larry Rivera, who was a commentator for XPW, he was on the other side of the arena in the seats just watching the show. Oh, he, he was there too. <laughs> he told me about what he saw from his perspective, and I thought, I was like, I had no idea that that happened. So I've got at least 20 people so far. I want to get a couple when, more people. So When you make this, I want to watch it because I, I want to know exactly what other people think happened because I was there and that's exactly what happened. So it's, it's very interesting seeing everyone's different side of the story. Uh, we actually right. had the chance to interview new Jack before he passed away as well. And um, so a, a lot of different perspectives. Anyway, um, thank you very much, Francie, for uh, indulging me in that. Uh, we haven't sure. got many questions remaining uh, again. Appreciate your time so much. Uh, I ran the numbers, Francine, um, in the information that I could find. And it could be wrong because it is the internet. And you did mention that you've done a, a bunch of house shows at be the beginning that might not be on this record. But the record that I found that you wrestled 41 times for 26 wins, 13 oh. losses and two draws, 15 of which were singles matches for 12 wins, one loss and two draws. Are you aware of how formidable your record sounds? No, <laughs> I didn't know that, but that's, that's not bad. You only, not you bad only lost, you only lost to Beulah. That was oh, the only singles she... loss. 
<laughs> and, and I and I would like to um, just mention that she had help. So it's not really a claim. She had victory. help. So I don't I don't technically think of that as a loss. I don't know. Although either. it is, but you if, know. It's, if it was claimed, then okay. But if it's not, then wow. Wow. Essentially undefeated in singles action. Wow. There Amazing. we go. Right there. <laughs> What a career. <laughs> uh, I want to move on from there and talk a little bit about, I'm sure you've been asked about this before, East W shutting down 2001, final show in Pine Bluff, Arkansas. Mm. You've been asked about it a million times, but I want to ask about the moment you found out that it was truly over. Secondly, how it felt not to see your road family every single week. And again, the third one is, how did you fulfill that creative void in your life post ECW? You used to being creative every week. Now mm -hmm. that thing is now just gone. Three different questions in one. Yeah. I'll try <laughs> to remember them in the order they were uh, given to me. First um, of all, so yeah. How did you first find out? Yeah. First of all, none of us ever would think that Pine Bluff, Arkansas would be her last show. <laughs> <laughs> like, who would have thunk it? Um, I remember sitting in the locker room that evening and Sandman, who's a good friend of mine, um, he, uh, he called me over and he said to me, um, listen, you're going to need a job. And I just looked at him and he said, I bought a bar. You're going to come work for me. And I go, okay. And um, that is the moment when it hit me. And I know that sounds so stupid um, because, you know, there's all these signs that, that lead up to this last show. But I always had this little speck of hope in my heart that something was going to happen, that Paul was going to save us and save the company. And I mean, you have to remember, a lot of us worked for free for months and months and months just because we wanted to keep going and, and try to keep the company alive and we didn't want it to end. You know, I was there for seven years. That's a long time. And you're being told one thing, but then you're hearing other things. And it's like, I don't know who to believe. You know what I mean? So when, when Hack told me that, Sandman told me, you're going to need a job. It, it was just like a flush of like, sadness came over my body. And I remember I, I turned around and I went back and I just sat there. I sat by myself and I just was thinking about all these things. I don't even remember what we did that night. I don't remember who we worked with. I do remember at the end, they grabbed me and said, come have a beer. And I said, I can't do it because I was hysterical crying. And everybody went out and drank that beer. And I sat in the back by myself and I just cried cried, 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 got in the car and cried, went to my hotel and cried. Um, that Monday, I got a phone call, maybe 930 in the morning. And it was Dreamer. And he said, I just want to let you know that Polly will be on Raw tonight. And then I was just like, oh, that was like a punch in the gut. Because we weren't told as a locker room. We didn't know. So uh, you know, I, I felt, I felt sad by that information. And I was just like, okay. And uh, then it's like, well, 
I never really had a lot of time on the indies because like I went right from training to getting my foot into ECW, getting a contract and stuff. I didn't have a Rolodex with, you know, names that I can call and get work. Um, so I was just at this point, I'm like, okay, well, I, I guess I have to do indies now. And, and believe it or not, they were very lucrative. They paid really well. And I was making more money doing the indies than I was in ECW. Because <laughs> they, when you're fresh off of TV, people are throwing money at you. You know what I mean? So I was doing really well and I was getting contact from the other boys and we were all trying to help each other because we were a family. We still are a family. You know, a lot of the guys I still talk to. Um, so I was just getting work through everybody else and we were all trying to get booked together just to keep the family alive. You know what I mean? So we still all kept in touch and then we were doing these reunion shows and that started to die down after a while. But I mean, it's, uh, you know, almost 30 years later, and I still talk to most of the locker room, which I think is tremendous. That just goes to show you how close we were and how close we still are. Absolutely, Francine. Thank you for sharing all that. And uh, we're getting super close to the, the tail end here of the interview. Again, thank you so much for your time. I, I need to bring up One Night Stand in 2005, the, the first one. Uh, I'm sure you've been asked about this before quite a lot, but I just want to know about just how did it feel? Did that feel authentic? Did it have the same feeling from go to woe, the day, how it began and how it ended for you? Tell me a little bit about that one day, one night stand. Sure. So I, you know, I was approached in 2001 to work for WWE or WWF, whatever they were at the time. Um, I was told they were going to put me with X Factor. So that would have been PJ, uh, Albert and X-Pac. And then I was going to be their manager. Um, the thing that I wasn't crazy about is the feud was going to be with the Hardys. And of course, Lita, who, who is a great girl. I really like Amy. Um, but I, I, I was told it was going to branch, branch out and then it was just going to be me and Lita working together. Now, I didn't wrestle much. And I felt like if I took this position, I was going to have to start all over again. I would have had to go to like whatever their training center, yeah. the performance center and, and learn again. And at this point, I'm... I don't know, like 30 years old or something, 31 years old. I didn't want to do that. So I kind of not fought with Paul, but I was just going back and forth with him. And I'm like, Paul, it's not something I want to do. And he was just like, well, they're interested. And I said, if they just wanted me to be a manager, I would do it. I said, but I don't want to be a wrestler at this point in the, I just don't want to, you know, um, I feel like everything that I learned in ECW would have been thrown out the window. And then I have to start all over again, basically, because I'm not homegrown. You know, I had already established myself in one company and this comes into play in 2005 as well. So that didn't work out in 2001. I didn't go. I didn't, you know, I didn't work there. Um, I get a call in, in 2005. First, I get a call from Shane Douglas. He's doing a, a reunion show. Then I get a call from Tommy Dreamer. It's the same weekend. <laughs> so the, Shane's is on a Friday. Um, one night stand is on a Sunday, uh, but they want me to be a, a surprise. So I'm not allowed to tell anybody. So I go, okay, fine. And I'm just looking at it like, 
one night only. This is going to be a cool payday. I'll get myself on TV and then I can charge a little more when I do some indie work later. <laughs> That's the way I looked at it. So I did the Friday night show. It was great. I go Sunday. I do the Sunday show. My spot was literally like two minutes long. I didn't have to remember basically anything. I kicked Tommy in the nuts and I smack him or and I have a cat fight and then I'm done. And um, I go home and I don't think anything's ever going to come of it. I'm thinking of it as another reunion show. Then a year later, I get another phone call. Oh, they're bringing, the, bringing it back. I go, what? What are they bringing back? Oh, ECW. I go, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, they're, you know, they're bringing ECW back and they want you to do exactly what you did for Paul. My gut says no. My gut says no. And I'll, it's Tommy. And I'm on the phone with him and he, he usually doesn't lie about things. I, I think he, he believed what he was telling me, but that's not what happened. <laughs> that's not what happened. And, and I, I said, well, can I do it for like a year? And he says, no, you have to sign a three-year contract because they, they want to know you're loyal. So I was just like, oh man. And he goes, well, let's just mail it to you, read it over, see what you think. So I'm like, okay. And I remember I hung up the phone and my phone rang and it was Axel Rotten. And he goes, did you just get a call? And I go, yeah. And he's like, what are you going to do? I said, I don't know. And, and he just went, here we go again. And I went, I guess, you know, and then like CW called me and Sabu called me and everybody's like, are you going to sign? And we were like, I don't know. Like something in my gut told me it didn't feel right, but this was going to be my last big run. I knew it because now what, what am I? 35? or something, 34, you know what I mean? Like, I, I'm not getting any younger. Let's try and make some money. But I knew I wasn't gonna last three years. I said, there's no way I'm gonna last three years. I lasted six months. <laughs> <laughs> it just wasn't for me. It just, it, it just wasn't for me. And everything that Tommy told me was not true. And I don't blame him for it. I, no. I think they just fed him what they thought we wanted to hear. And then we sign and then we get there and it's completely different. And they they never wanted to hear any ideas from me. You know, again, I wasn't homegrown. Um, I wasn't allowed to be called the queen of extreme. Um, yeah, something uh, I, I, I think at that point I had 13 years seniority, which was more than any other girl in the locker room. And here I am asking people if they wanted uh, cookies from catering, you know, cause I'm just trying to fit in and I don't want to step on anybody's toes. I'm trying to be nice to everybody. Um, but, you know, I, I had meeting after meeting with Johnny Ace and he told me I didn't politic enough. And I said, I don't politic. And he goes, well, here you have to politic. And I'm like, I don't do that. I don't, I don't, I don't like politicking. Like I don't, I don't throw people under the bus. I, my work should speak for itself. Just give me a chance to work. And I would give him like ideas. No, you're doing a bikini contest. I'm like, this is so stupid. I've, I've never <laughs> had to do bikini contests before. It was so uncomfortable and so dumb. And I hated every minute of it. Uh, but I, I, was, I was grateful that they gave me the opportunity. I just felt like they just, they didn't care. You know, I was like, why'd you even hire me if you don't care? 
Look, exactly. It's so, as a fan, it is so frustrating that Vince McMahon didn't even know what you had done. And oh, my God. None no. of them knew what you had done. And they're just throwing in these, like, do you not realise what she's done? She's She can talk on the microphone. She can do all these things. She's fucking fantastic. Oh, you're so oh, It's well, just, it's frustrating for, as a fan. I had, I had Vince, literally, when I was in line to get my draw one, one night, uh, I heard, Francine, can I talk to you? And I'm like, who is that? <laughs> and I turn around, it's Vince McMahon, you know? And I haven't had any meetings with Vince. Like I would shake his hand, hello, if I got to the building. So I go, sure. And he walked with me around the arena and he point blank said, I don't know what you're capable of. Right to my face. And I said, you bought our tape library. And he goes, well, I haven't watched any of it. And so it, I'm thinking, okay, well, then you you have people that have watched it. I know Shane McMahon is a fan of ECW because I was told he loved ECW. I'm like, why can't I talk to Shane? Why am I standing here with you? Exactly. I didn't say it to him, but I'm like, why? if I could just get my hands on Shane for maybe 15 minutes and just tell him what I want to do and what I'm, you know, I'm willing to work, you know? And then... Uh, he, he, get, he makes me do this ridiculous thing. Like when you see me, I'm sure you heard this story, smack me on the back, what he got for me, blah, blah, blah. And I do it. And then he puts me on the show, right? I'm on the show. We do the walkthrough and I say to him, he's standing right there. And I said, can I take Kevin Thorne's finisher? And he goes, we don't do that here. And I go, what do you mean you don't do that here? He goes, no, we don't want, we don't want you to get bumped by the boy, by the guy. We don't want the man to hurt the girl. And I just was like, what? Like, and I can't argue with Vince McMahon because he's Vince McMahon. But I just, I went, okay. And I walked away and he goes, oh, gingerly put your hands under her and throw her to this. I go, this is just crap. <laughs> I, told, I told Kevin, I was like, this is, this is crap. He's like, I know we got to do what the boss wants us to do. And I did it, but I'm just like, man, that's going to be so much better if I could have taken his finisher. The pop would have been great. And but that fizzled out, you know, Balls Mahoney, he took a drug test and there were drugs in his system. So he was thrown off the road. And then I get a call, bring your bikini. Ha ha. And I'm like, oh, yeah, it's so funny. So funny. Hated it. Yeah. I, I hate it too. It's so, it's so insulting to me knowing what you're capable of. So Thank you. you know what? Fuck them, okay? They 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 fucked the whole thing up. But the, the thing is, I, I interviewed Blue E dangerously on my show. Yeah. I think it was Cyan Guy and Dully. He told me because he was working in the office at that time. He told yep. me all this stuff that had taken place. And initially it was supposed to be the old loop and then doing the little you know convention center and Poughkeepsie and et cetera, et cetera. Right. And the, Vince McMahon saw the, the the show at the ECW arena and then changed his whole mind on the whole thing. And it's just upsetting. So let's not talk about that anymore. We're talking about <laughs> okay. you and how wonderful you are and, and how we're coming to the very close to the end of this interview, Francine. Ah. There have been other things you've done in the business after WWE, CW. Um, these days right now, how fun is it these days doing these meet and greets? I see that you have some appearances with the Sandman coming up soon. Does it ever cease to amaze you that something that you were part of over 20 years ago is still as relevant as ever in your life? I, I can't believe how blessed this group of misfits has been. 
we always called ourselves the island of misfit toys. I don't know if you ever heard that reference, but um, it, it, we talk about it all the time. Um, people seem to be interested in, um, I'm, not, I'm not referring to myself as one, but like the legends, the older uh, generation. And, you know, we're, we're doing these conventions and you get these younger kids who come to the table and I'm talking like 10, 11, 12 years old. And they know the storylines because they're watching it either on the network or on Peacock or, and I'm just, and, and the one kid said to Shane, uh, he goes, your, your, your storyline with Taz was phenomenal. <laughs> and he goes, Shane goes, how old are you, like 10? And he goes, yeah, but I, I watched it on Peacock and it, it was phenomenal. It, it could carry over to this day. It's like a 10 year old, you know what I mean? And, and it's just like, we have a whole new generation of fans that watch our stuff from 20, 25 years ago and tell us it's still relevant today. These stories hold up to 2022. So that's a blessing because you know that that brings more business in for us but it's just it's a treat for me when i can do these conventions and see these guys because you know i don't get to see them much we talk but i don't get to see them much so when we're together for a weekend instead of like going to a bar and and drinking or or shenanigans we're in the hotel room talking about our kids our, you know, our husbands, our wives, uh, what we did last weekend. Um, it, it's a different atmosphere. It's a more mature atmosphere, <laughs> but we love it, you know? And it's just, it, it's so nice that I still have this group of guys that I 100% trust, um, you know, because I won't, I won't do shows if, if I don't know the promoter or if somebody I don't know you know, isn't coming with me. Like the Sandman loop that I'm doing, he's the only reason why I'm doing it. I wouldn't have went by myself, but he he called me and he's like, I'm doing it, you're coming. And I was like, okay, <laughs> you know what I mean? So if I have like Hack or Shane or somebody that I know there, I'm a hundred percent going and taking the booking. Um, and it's just, it's a treat. And it, it just makes me happy that people are still interested and want to see us. And they have such great stories that they share at these signings and, and it's it's so nice to just sit there and and have people just tell you what you meant to them and i can tell like you and everybody else that you meant the world to us because without you guys we wouldn't be here so thank you for that well you're, you're most welcome francine <laughs> <laughs> uh, before we get to our final segment where i have those you know five second frizzy with the quick fire questions uh francine Here's your chance. You got the floor. Plug everything going on in your world. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Well, uh, first off, I have a podcast. It is called Eyes Up Here. Um, we are on the Creative Control Network. Uh, I think you can find us, iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your local podcast. I think we're all over the place. Um, with that comes a Patreon. So that would be uh, patreon.com forward slash uh, Francine Podcast. And um, not only do you get the uh, podcast in video and audio form, but you also get three extras along the way. Um, and there's different tiers that you can join. I usually have the members come on with me and we play games, we do trivia, um, just to get to know you one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, they can ask me whatever they want. And I ask them questions as well. I like to get to know the face behind the names. Um, so that's a fun little project that I do. I'm on Cameo. Everybody else is as well. I know that. But uh, we're on Cameo. Um, 
just look me up under uh, Queen of Extreme Francine, I think, for that one. Um, what else do I do? Oh, I do YouTube. I have a YouTube channel. It's uh, under ECW Diva Francine. Um, right now, we post clips from the podcast, but I also do vlogs. So the latest vlog is my trip to Virginia that Shane and I did, and it's doing really well right now. Um, you see like behind the, everybody does them, but you see behind the scenes of what goes into like the signings and traveling and all that kind of stuff. So I like to vlog when I'm able to. I'll probably vlog with Hack um, on the uh, Ohio PA loop and because he's always a treat to a interview and get his insight um and then on across the board on social media you could just find me at ecw diva francine i am most active on twitter wonderful and all of those things ladies and gentlemen when this goes out on youtube in the description every single link to every single thing will be right there for you to uh crack on to so francine right now right here right now five second frenzy is the name of this segment 12 quick fire questions we can get this done real quick because you didn't wrestle ten thousand matches so unlike most wrestlers (laughs) 41 with a immaculate record but um i think we can get this done in a very quick amount of time the first one here francine who is your favorite professional wrestler of all time of all time sherry martel fantastic do you have a favorite uh this is usually favorite opponent but favorite adversary somebody to to go against Bueller. wonderful uh is there a, a particular match that in your time that you were involved with that goes down as that this is the match that I'm most proud to be a, a part of? Uh, four quarters match, uh, Shane Douglas, Pitbull number two, the two Cold Scorpio, Chris Jericho. It's a night I turned, went through the table and uh, joined forces with the franchise. Wonderful, wonderful. Finally, finally getting away from wrestling now. Favorite book? Favorite book? Oh, Jeez, I don't know. I just read, um, oh shoot, I can't even remember the name, but I read John Taylor's biography from uh, Duran Duran. Oh, I've got it. I've got it. You have it too. Uh, Into the Groove. Is it called Into the Groove or something? I can't remember the name of it now. Uh, So good. It's so, I'm a autobiography. What was that called? I, I just. I, I just finished yeah, it. Yeah, uh, in the in the pleasure groove. In the pleasure groove. There, there it is. I, I'm a huge John Taylor Mark, so um, I, I I enjoyed that book so much. Yep, excellent, Good. excellent. Yeah. <laughs> uh, moving from books to favorite TV show of all time. Oh gosh, I have a lot of them, but um, I am a big reality Mark, so Big Brother is my passion. <laughs> I would love to go on it someday. <laughs> did you know when i interviewed sabu his favorite tv show was the real housewives of beverly hills or something <laughs> of like that it is. Yes, of course it is i uh, love them <laughs> uh favorite film frenzy uh romeo and juliet from uh, 1968 olivia hussey very love, nice love, love. i cry from the minute it starts to the minute it ends <laughs> excellent it. uh favorite musical artist or band uh duran duran Wonderful. But the Uh, Beatles coming in a close second. Ooh, another very good choice. Uh, Yes. Getting away from the arts now, not many to go here, Francine. Favorite food? Damn, a lot of them. I'm a foodie. Um, Let's just go with pizza because you could could just mix it up and 
change it every time. You don't have to get the same thing twice. That's a, that's a good answer. Uh, yeah. Continue on with food. Favorite place to eat on the road? Oh, on the road. Um, well, shoot. I, I, oh, crap. I don't have a favorite place to eat on the road, but we did do Cracker Barrel a lot. So I'll just say Cracker Barrel. Okay, that's a, that's a fair answer. We've had that a few yeah. times. Uh, three to go here, Francie. Favorite alcoholic beverage? Oh, so right now I really like Fireball. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, you put it, put it with a little cherry Coke. Oh, delish. It's nice mm. sipping whiskey. Very good. Wow, cherry Coke. I will, I will indulge. Try it. You'll love it. It'll change your whole life. Okay. Uh, count me in. Uh, the right. second last one here, Francine. Favorite yes. male body part. You see a good looking guy. Oh, my. Where, where do the <laughs> eyes go to first? It could be anything. My, many different answers on Yeah, uh, the eyes. We you get eyes tell somebody, a lot. Yeah, I, I love eyes, and, and you can tell by the way they look at you with their with their meaning, with their thinking, with their, yeah. Of course, eyes. fantastic. Very yeah. good answer. Francine, the last one on Five Second Frenzy. Favorite curse word? <laughs> oh, God. Um, God, it's very cliche. I'm going to have to. <laughs> It's, is, I, it, is, it it? Fuck, is it fuck? You can say fuck. I'm Australian. Yeah, probably, probably fuck. That's probably, <laughs> I, I say it to myself several times a day. So. <laughs> the fuck, fuck this. What the fuck? That's pretty much it. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, Francine, <laughs> the queen of extreme, this was a joy, a massive honor and privilege for me to interview you here today. I appreciate it so much. And, and before I say goodbye to you and, and thank you another few more times, I live in Perth, Western Australia, the most isolated city in the world, which means ah. you've reached all the way over here. All it's the way over here, you got a massive fan here, right here. Oh. This shirt, I wouldn't have this shirt on if it wasn't for you and a whole bunch of involved in ACW. But uh, you're a big part of my fandom. So again, thank oh. you so much, and I hope you are so proud of what you've accomplished in your life. I, I am, and and again, to hear you say those kind words means everything to me. And might I say, your accent is very appealing. I could listen to you talk all day long. Love it. Love it. I've never been to your neck of the woods. Maybe someday I, I can journey over there and we can make face to face. But until then, um, you know, there's always Twitter. So uh, <laughs> that way. But thank you friend. for having me on. And um, I, I, I appreciate the, uh, the, the kind words and everything. The banner, the shirt, the accolades, the belt. Look at this. He's got everything. <laughs> it's wonderful. That's it, Francie. Well, thank you so much. And thank you all out there for joining us here on the Insider's Edge podcast on the WCWA Network. I'm California. This is my homegirl, Francine. Right. And we will see you down the road. Thank you.